Bibles to the book of Revelation. I wanted to make a few announcements. Uh, some f- exciting things have happened this week, and we want you to celebrate with your brothers and sisters in Christ. So I wanted to share with you, you probably already know all of this information, but I'm going to act like you don't and share, share it with you anyway. Um, Celine and Kyle Somers had a baby girl yesterday uh, at 1 a.m., and her name is Emerson Rose Somers, and six pounds and three ounces, and what was, how, how, how long was the baby? Okay. Does anybody know that? How awful, How long? How tall? Six feet. Six feet? Okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so uh, we want to celebrate with them and also pray for them. Yes, um, I don't know all the details, but I think everything is, is well. So just hold them up in your prayers. Also yesterday, Ben and Corey Rowland were married. And so, yeah, they're not here to hear you clapping, but um, clap for them when you see them again, and just tell them that you want to congratulate them and, and, uh, and bless them. Um, my daughter got engaged last week, and so, yeah, so her and Jefferson are planning to get married in uh, April 3rd of next year, so... So we want to congratulate them, and we're also glad to have Wilhelmita with us this morning. Yeah. Amen. So they, it, it is a blessing to be able to see them again. God has given them some good reports lately, and we just want to continue to hold them up in prayer, and uh, that God would continue to perform miracles in their life as he is very capable of doing. Amen? So we are glad that you guys are here this morning. Um, Revelation, this week was a, a challenging week for me, and I, I just felt the Lord kind of leading me to, to share some, um, some information, some uh, kind of a Bible study through some of the things that we've been studying in our community group. I'm right now leading our community group through the book of Revelation. We're walking through it. So if you're not a part of a community group and you want to study the book of Revelation, you can come to uh, our community group and become a part of it. But I wanted to just share some thoughts with you guys from the uh, second and third chapter. I want to read the entire chapter. Uh, I thought the songs that Darren picked today, he didn't know what I was preaching on, but I thought they were very appropriate. And uh, it's, it's interesting how the Holy Spirit knows exactly what's going on. And he's working uh, out details. But um, I just thought of the last song at I, I just the, the thing that hit me when we were singing that last song is it's not just a song. It's not just a song. And, and there's so much, it's, it, it's a reality. We're living in a season, I think, where this could, be, this could come true. The Lord could return. He could return today. He could return before we walk out of this alley. Um, he could return. And there's nothing that stands between uh, his return, there's nothing that stands, there's no prophecy, there's nothing needed to be fulfilled for him to come back and take his church home. And so it literally could happen. So when we sing that song, I just, the thing that hit me was that's, it's not, it's not just a song, and it's, and it's a prayer, and it's a plea, but it's, a, it's also a reality that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come back, and he's going to take his church home to be with him 
And that really is what we are, we are looking forward to. Amen? Uh, I, I don't know about you, but I would love to be free of this earth and all of its bondages and pains and sufferings. And I would love to be free. And uh, we look forward, I look forward to that at the same time God has me here and us here for a reason. And we stay focused on what that reason is and we live it out uh, to the best of our ability for His glory and, as the Apostle Paul says in the book of Philippians, for the good of people. Um, we're here, you're here, left on this earth because there's somebody around you that needs something spiritually that God has given you to give to them. That's why you're still here. Uh, he didn't save you and then rapture you. He saved you and left you. And so you have a great calling and a great privilege to honor him in that. Revelation, uh, just to give you a little bit of a background on the book, Revelation is the exaltation of Christ. That would be the, the definition I would give to the book. It is literally Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John would be the humiliation of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ, the, um, the sufferings of Christ. Um, you'd see four books written about those things. Revelation is the exaltation of Christ. He is, he is high and lifted up in the book of Revelation. And we see him in great power. We see him in great victory. We see him conquering all of his enemies. We see him um, with a mighty sword, with, with, his, with his robe dripped in blood because all of his enemies have been destroyed we see him in, in heaven at the right hand of the Father. We see him coming back and sitting on the, thr on the throne of David for a, a thousand years to reign upon the earth. We see him in heaven. We see him in the new heavens and the new earth. The book of Revelation is meant to describe to us this extraordinary victory that Christ has accomplished. It's sometimes it's difficult to, it's difficult to um, accept. We live in such a fallen and broken world we read all of these things in the book of Revelation about this extraordinary victory and this, and this Savior who is going to conquer all. And we look around us and we think, is it ever going to happen? Let me assure you this morning that it is going to happen. And Christ truly is going to reign in this world. And um, it may seem far-fetched, but it, but, it, but it is true. And I want to encourage you with that. With that being said, Revelation 2 and 3 are seven letters to churches. When you think about this for a moment. The church is the beginning of the exaltation of Christ. It is, the, it is the status of the church. It is the condition of the church. It is the church itself that brings glory to Christ. We, we exalt him and we lift him up. And so in Revelation 2 and 3, you have seven letters written to churches. And it's like we sing in that song... Um, we are ready for you to return. The church is ready, right? I, I would submit to you, based upon Revelation 2 and 3, that that song is a little bit wrong. We're not ready. We've got some things to do, don't we? We've got some changes to make. We've got some purification to go through. If we were ready, it would be over. We're not there yet. We haven't arrived. We've got some work to do. And Revelation 2 and 3 are seven letters written to tell us what are some things that we can um, seek to grow in, to learn, to be purified so that we can be ready when the Lord returns, so that we can bring Him ultimate and utter glory. I think of what the Scripture says in Ephesians 5, talking about husbands and wives and marriage, 
and the picture is presented that it's, a sim, it's symbolic. Marriage is a symbolic picture of Christ and his church. And just like a bride who prepares herself and purifies herself and readies herself for the marriage, the church today is purifying themselves, readying themselves, preparing themselves so that when the groom comes, right, when Christ comes, the bride will be ready. And that's what the book of Revelation is about. And in Revelation 19, you have the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's the wedding. You have this whole, you have this whole book written of a preparation for a wedding ceremony that takes place in Revelation 19 where Christ is married to his church. And that's what we're getting ready for. I, I, yesterday we did, we did Corey and Ben's wedding out there and it, it was a wonderful event, but you could kind of see some of those things unfolding with, the, with, with them getting ready and Corey getting ready and she came out with a beautiful dress on and she was, she was prepared for that moment. And the Bible tells us that Christ is going to return and when he returns... He's going to return for his church. And Revelation is written to ready us for that. It's like, get your garments prepared. Get your beautiful dress on. Get ready because Christ is getting ready to return to take his church home. So I want to read with you guys. Just read with me. We're going to read the, the entire two chapters. And I'm going to, we're not going to dissect them because we don't have time to. But I want to give you some, some constants. In other words, every letter has something that is the same in it. Something happens in each one of these letters, I think, that we need to stop and meditate on for just a few minutes this morning, that these are things that every church needs to hear. And that's why they're included in every one of these letters. And, and then we can make application to ourselves. I would also say to you as well, when we think about this, from seven different churches. Let's also think about it from, an, from the perspective of being individuals because who is the church? Who is the church? We are, right? So, so, so the way the church experiences the things that we're going to talk about is it, it experiences it by each individual person within the church making a decision to pursue these things. It doesn't have to be corporate. It can literally be individuals within the church body and that's what spurs its uh, a person once said that revival starts with, with one person. It's one person who gets on fire for the Lord that begins to in, infuse strength in other people around them, and then you have a corporate revival. But oftentimes it just starts with one person. It starts with one person being willing to take a stand, being willing to do what's right. So join me, if you would, in reading Revelation 2 and 3. And just follow along, and I'll read out loud. The Bible says to the angel... At the church in Ephesus, write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate, 
He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The words of the first and the last, who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who, uh, and the slanderer of those who say that you are that they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. I'm going to make a comment here. Uh, we could comment throughout, but I'm not going to do that. But I think there's an important comment here. Here's a church that's told they're going to face persecution. They're going to face a 10-day trial, a, a 10-day persecution that's ultimately going to lead up to their death. In other words, you talk about like somebody being captured by a military and, and being uh, persecuted to try to get information out of them. For 10 days, the church at Smyrna is told they're going to try to get you to renounce the name of Christ and they're going to use whatever means necessary to get you to renounce the name of Christ. They're going to use whatever means necessary. They're going to persecute you. They're going to torment you. They're going to torture you to try to get you to renounce the name of Christ. And what he tells them is, is don't renounce the name of Christ. Stand strong. And I, I, I point that out because I believe that I believe that we, I'm, I'm just going to say this, I believe that we as church needs to get some strong backbones. We, we, get, we get flustered by some of the most little things. Here's a church that's told you're going to face persecution like you've never experienced before. And for 10 days, it's going to lead up to your death. And it says, stand firm. Don't, don't fall. Don't flake. Don't wimp out. We need to hear this. We need to be the church at Smyrna. We need to stand strong. Yes, there's going to be challenges, and yes, there's going to be difficulties, but, but in the face of those challenges and difficulties, God is still on His throne. Amen? God is still on His throne, and we need to be strong in the face of these challenges and difficulties, even if it means we're going to die for the cause of Christ. I think sometimes it's easy to think that we're strong. I remember the story of a, a group of, a church group that came to meet together in a, in a church and, and this was in a, uh, in a place where there was great persecution and a group of soldiers came in with weapons and they held the weapons up to all the, all the people in the, in the congregation and they said to the people in the congregation, if you, if you will renounce the name of Christ or you will not consider yourself a Christian, then you can leave at this point in time. And a majority of the church got up and left, and a small group of people were still left there in the church, and the soldiers put their guns down and said, we just wanted to worship with true believers. That's this church. You're going to persecute. You're going to face trials and tribulation. You're going to face heartache. And yeah, we are. We are. We, we're facing some even greater challenges than other states are in California. But listen, we can stand firm. We ain't, we're not even close to what he's talking about here. We're not even close to it. Listen, let's go on. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, 
the words of him who has a sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some who, there who hold the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. And to the angel in the, in the church of Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like a flame of fire and whose feet are like varnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refused to repent for her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead and all the churches will know that I am he who searches minds and hearts, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. As when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you will, yet you will have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to the angel in Philadelphia write, the works of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one shuts, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, 
and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you, because you have kept my word about, uh, you have kept my word about patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down from God, my God, out of heaven, in my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I, have, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove with discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." There are a few things, there's a, lot, there's a lot there. I hope that as you read, we read through that, there were some things that m- maybe um, sparked interest in your mind and in your heart about the church. We want to remember that what he, is, what he is writing about is the preparation of the church for, for the groom. He is writing about to the church to prepare themselves for the coming exaltation of Christ. The church needs to be prepared and equipped to exalt Christ in a pure way. And it is the pureness of the church that is exalting of Christ. It is the purity of the bride that brings the greatest exaltation to God. And in these seven letters, there are some things that are consistent that I want to present to you this morning and just challenge you to think about and consider as you think about how am I preparing for Christ's return? How am I preparing, how am I equipping myself to glorify Christ, to honor Christ rightly when he returns? Or maybe a better way of saying it is, how am I equipping myself to glorify Christ in a way that is honorable to him, in a way that is worthy of him? How am I preparing myself for that? You can imagine on a wedding day, the, the, the wedding is prepared and everything is, is set out and the groom is up there standing there with the pastor waiting for the bride and and, and the bride comes walking out and she's, she's, she looks like she's just waddled in mud. And she's walking down the aisle and she's been battered and bruised and she, she's, she's an absolute mess. And just the day before, the, the, the plans were she's going to wear this beautiful dress, she's going to be prepared, she's going to walk down and she's going to honor that moment. 
We don't want to be that. We want to be a bride, as he mentions here, that is prepared. And we will be. This is not a, you'll see at the end of this morning, you'll see that this is not an optional. It, it, it will be a reality for all of those who worship Christ. Um, you'll see that taking place. But this is a way to, for us to receive the, the, the instructions of the Lord. So let's look at it together. I'm not going to go through each letter, but I'm going to use Ephesus as the example. The first thing that we see is in the, each one of the letters, Christ is, rep, is reflected on at the very beginning of the letter. In other words, Christ is the solution to the problem that is getting ready to be presented. Each one of these letters has, the church has a certain problem. Um, two of them, the problem is less notable, I guess. They're not really noted for having a problem, but yet at the end it still says that they have to conquer so there's some challenge there in each one of these seven letters, um, but two of them, doesn't, they don't have necessarily a direct sin that they're dealing with. The other, the other five do. But what we see initially is, is that Christ, Jesus Christ, is the solution to every church's problem. And Jesus Christ is the solution to every individual's problem. Whatever you're dealing with, Jesus Christ is the solution to what you're dealing with. Whether you're dealing with indifference is chapter number one. Jesus Christ is the solution to indifference. Whether you're dealing with suffering. Some people are dealing with suffering right now. Chapter number two, Jesus Christ is the one who is the solution for your suffering. Whether or not you're dealing with compromise in your Christian life, Jesus Christ is the solution to your compromise. Whether you're dealing with tolerance in your Christian life, which is the church at Thyatira, Jesus Christ is the solution to tolerance. Whether you're dealing with the fact that your church is dying or you're dying spiritually as an individual, Jesus Christ is the solution to your dying. Whether you're dealing with the fact that you're struggling to persevere, Jesus Christ is the solution for your need to persevere. And the last church, which is the church that's lukewarm or what many would call the apostate church, whether or not you're dealing with the apostate church, listen to me, Jesus Christ is the solution. There is no other solution. There is no other way. I think it's also interesting to note that it's not just Jesus Christ that is the solution, but you'll notice at the beginning of each letter, Jesus Christ is referenced a part of his character that specifically fits into the situation. It's not just, I, well, Jesus Christ will fix this. It's Jesus Christ who has a sword that will discern because I'm lacking discernment. Jesus Christ, who is the great physician, is capable of bringing healing to my life. Jesus Christ, it, it, is, it is something about Jesus Christ that causes a person to find rest and strength and, and harmony in these moments. So in each one of these letters, you have not just a, in Jesus' name, amen, type of a, of, a, of a focus. It is, Lord, I believe that you're going to make me holy based upon this part of your character. Does that make sense? It's not just this ambiguous knowledge of Christ. It's this specific knowledge of Christ. When you read the Psalms, you see David not just praying with this generality. You see him praying with specificity. Because he knows this is the part of God's character that I am reaching into right now. I am pressing into Christ for discernment. I am pressing into Christ for passion. I am pressing into Christ for all of the things that we need spiritually. 
It's not, it's, not, it's not a generality. Christ is a real person. Christ has a real personality. When you press into him, know exactly what you're pressing into. And the only way to do that, remember this, you've got to know what you're pressing into, and then it says this, in every one of these letters it says, and my pages keep <laughs> every time, every one of these letters says, the words of him. How do we know how to press into Christ for the right things? How do we know what to press in on? It's his words. You learn about who Christ is. You know what Christ is capable of. You know what Christ can do because of what he has already revealed to you in his word. This is all about the words of Christ. The Bible tells us in Romans 10 and verse 17, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word. The Word of God is what reveals to us. The Word of God is what reveals to us the character of Christ. We don't press in to be delivered by the Word of God. We press in to be delivered by Christ. We press into the Word of God to know Christ. As a matter of fact, the Lord says, You study the Scriptures that you might find eternal life, and you don't realize that the Scriptures were written about Christ. So we press into the Word to know Christ. And then we press into Christ to experience what Christ can offer and what Christ can do. It's all about Christ. So in each one of these letters you have, Christ is the solution and the word that Christ speaks is the, is the, is the vessel or the, the, the tool that God uses so that we can know what Christ can offer. And the greater we know Christ, folks, the greater we know Christ the greater we can press in when things get really bad. We need to be pressing into Christ today, don't we? Coronavirus, press into Christ, right? Uh, Rioting, press into Christ. Political turmoil, press into Christ. But if we don't know that Christ cares about these things, if we've never seen Christ in his word working and dealing with these things, we won't press into him. What we do then is we press into our own efforts and our own abilities, and that's where we fight amongst ourselves. So remember those two things. Remember, Christ is the solution to all personal and church problems. Christ is the solution, first and foremost. His word is the means by which we can hear about him. Note this. He says, I know your works. In every one of these letters, he says, I know your works. And I don't want to pass this by because this word know here is a significantly, it's a significantly less important word than the word know used in many other texts. What he is saying in this phrase is simply, I, 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 I recognize your works. I acknowledge your works. He's not, ple- he's not pressing into the fact that he is praising them for their works. He's literally making the opposite statement. He's saying, I notice your works, but your works aren't going to get you anywhere. Listen, when it comes to the exaltation of Christ, it has nothing to do with your works. It has everything to do with who you are. That is why he lays out at the beginning of each one of these letters, I know your works already. I already notice your works. Please, please don't come back to me when I rebuke you and say, well, look, Lord, I do this and this and this. The Lord says to them right up front, I already know all of that. That is not how we exalt Christ. We don't exalt Christ by our works. We exalt Christ by our person. 
It is who we have become that is exalting Christ. It is the change that Christ has manufactured in us that exalts him. I know your works is literally, the the term literally means to be in a general area where something is happening and you notice it. That's what that word means. I was in the vicinity when that happened. He is not putting emphasis on their works. The Bible teaches over and over again throughout the book of Romans that our works mean nothing. It is who we are. Who has God made us? Who has God transformed us into? If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And he's not talking about your works. He's talking about you. And and yes, your works will follow who you are. But folks, we live in a world today where we think because we do certain things that Christ is highly pleased with us. It's never about that. Christ is highly pleased with who you are and who you are as a result of who he is. I know your works. We go on. He says, but in each one of these letters, at least five of the seven and the other two, there can be some thought put into on what they're dealing with. But every one of these churches has a struggle. Every one of these churches has a difficulty. Every one of these churches has a challenge. Something that's in their life that needs to be changed or they just need to persevere and be strong. But they're both challenges. And I want to submit to you today that we all have challenges, don't we? Not just churches, but individuals. We all have something. You have something in your life this moment that you need to allow Christ, you need to press into Christ to be delivered from it so that he can be more exalted through your life. Not through your works, through your life. Through who you have become. He goes on, he talks about the things that they have troubles with and we don't have time to go through all of them. But he goes on to this, he says, Number, I believe number four, fourth thought. Every one of his letters, he says, the solution is what? Do more works, right? In every one of these seven letters, what is the solution? It's a word that starts with R. Repent. In every one of these letters, the word that's used to 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 discuss how we respond to our situation is repentance. Do you know how most of us want to respond when we, get, when we get exposed that we're not where we ought to be? Defense, good answer, okay? We want to defend ourselves or we just want to change ourselves, don't we? What repentance is, is repentance is pressing into Christ. It is the acknowledgement that you are fallen, you are broken, you are empty, you are frail, you are sinful. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousnesses. The problem with most of us is that when we see things that God is exposing about us, we seek to change those things without ever pressing into Christ. And the problem is, is that the Lord will allow something bigger and greater to come into your world until you find your way into him. Because that's the ultimate goal, isn't it? To get us into him. To conform us into his image. Every time he says the answer to the issue is repentance. It is the changing the way that you think. And ultimately that repentance will lead to a change in the way that you walk. Repentance is never just internal. 
it always exposes, it always, it always affects the external, but repentance is never begins with the external. It always begins with the internal. It's the changing of who you are. And can you change who you are? Can we change who we are? Christ has to do it. So what do we do when we see our flaws? What do we do when we see our brokennesses? What do we do when we see our indifference? What do we do when we see our, our what do we do when we see these things? We press into the one who can change us. We press into Christ. He is the one who can bring deliverance to us. So what does he say? The answer to every one of these struggles is repentance. Acknowledging where you're at, confessing it before God, and pleading with him to bring change into your life because you can't bring the change that you need in your life. I'll tell you guys a personal story. So one of the things that God worked on me, I, I was a profession, of Christ, a profession of faith when I was a child um, because that's what you did. And I went through life. My teenage years were pretty evil and wicked. I kind of lived for self and sin and everything that I wanted to live for. But, but, but I, always had this, I always had this peace in the back of my mind. Think about it for a moment. I always had this peace in the back of my mind that I didn't really want to be doing that sin. I didn't really want to do it. I just did it. Right? Isn't that kind of like a false security? Lord, I'm going to go out here and sin, but I don't really want to. Well, you're such a liar, John. You love the sin that you're dealing with. You love the things that you're involved in. The biggest thing that God had to convince me of in my late teenage years, my early 20s, was simply this, that it wasn't just my flesh that was the problem. It was all of me that was the problem. And I had to get down on my knees before God, and I, say, I had to say to God, God, I want to sin. I want to sin. And I don't know why I want to sin. And I had to... I had to, God had to move my attention from me to Christ. And he changed me and he altered me. And I still, I still sin, but there's a, new, there's a new focus in life. It's different. Repentance. Repentance is the key to pressing into Christ, who is the solution. And the word is what reveals that to us. It flows. It all flows together. Let me give you these last two thoughts. The, the, is it the fifth thing? <laughs> is it the fifth? Okay, thank you. He who overcomes. Every one of these letters. He who overcomes, he who overcomes, he who overcomes. I want you to know this. In every one of these letters, the consequence for not overcoming, not the consequence in these letters for not repenting, okay? Just hear me out, okay? The consequence for not repenting in every one of these letters is eternal. It's eternal. It's not like, oh, I lose a reward. It's not that. That's not what he's saying in, the, in each one of these letters. He says, if you don't repent, it is eternal consequences. It is forever consequences. It is not stopping when you die. It is on into eternity type of consequences. This is serious stuff. If you don't repent, you face eternal consequences from God. But on the other hand, he gives us this opposite side. He says, overcoming. And he says, if you overcome, you will receive what type of reward? If you don't repent, you will get eternal condemnation. If you do overcome, you will get what? Eternal rewards. 
Every one of these letters talks about not rewards in this life, but the rewards that are taking place in the next life. This, these seven letters are literally telling us, stop living for this life and live for the next life. Live sacrificially, live repentant lives now, and you will, reface, you will face God's grace and goodness in eternity. Live for yourself now, and you will face God's judgment in eternity. Listen to what Revelation 21 says. Can somebody tell me what time it is? Darren? Okay. I like 1033 better. <laughs> I'm only kidding. Listen, listen to me. Just, just a few more thoughts and we'll be done. Revelation 21, verse 7 and 8, the Bible says this. The one who conquers, the one who overcomes, it's the same word that's used in the seven letters. The one who conquers, he says, will have this heritage. And I will be his God and he will be my son. Wow, right? The one who overcomes gets to say that God is my father and I am his son. That is a privilege. That is the heritage or the inheritance that you get as an overcomer. How many Christians are overcomers? The emphasis in the text is all Christians are overcomers. All Christians are overcomers. The idea of each one of these letters is, is that there are people sitting in the pews of the church that are not Christians. And they're not overcomers. And they need to become overcomers. And only Jesus can make them overcomers. Listen to what he says here. I am, um, let's see here. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, for murderers and sexually immoral, immoral the sorcerers, the adulterers, and all liars. Their portion will be in a lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Guess what they're not? What are they not? They're not overcomers. They're not overcomers. The last thing this morning that is consistent in every one of these letters is this simple, this simple statement, and this is what I want to leave you with and challenge you with. It says... Back in our text, it says in every one of these letters, it says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the emphasis. Matthew chapter 13 tells us this principle, that there are people who have hardened their hearts and hardened their minds to the truth of the gospel, to the truth of God's word so much that they no longer have ears to hear. He, said, he says this in each one of these letters, if you still have ears to hear, if you can hear what God is saying, repent. Repent now. Don't, don't listen, don't wait until tomorrow. Your ears might be closed tomorrow. If your ears are open today and God is pricking your heart with something that you need to confess, you need to repent of, and you need to be victorious over. If God is pricking your heart today, you need to repent of it, and you need to press into Christ and his word to be delivered, because you may not be able to be delivered from it tomorrow. I think of what the Bible says in Romans chapter number one. The Bible says that they become so built up in their pride, their ears were shut, that he gave them over to greater sins and greater sins, and greater sins, to where that they had no ability to say no to sin anymore. You, you want to be there? You want to be in that place where you can't say no anymore? You might think, I got it under control. 
I can say no when I want to. Do you want to be the one that someday doesn't have the ability to say no? That's what Romans 1 tells us. This is serious. This is serious stuff. So these seven letters, they give, they give us, there's so much more that our community groups kind of know. We've unfolded a few of these letters already. There's so much in these letters. I wanted to just give you some of the consistent, constant things that are throughout each one of them. And I wanted to challenge your heart. Listen, folks, if we, if we will make ourselves prepared for our groom, he's going to make, he is going to make the most wonderful and amazing marriage uh, home for us to live in. He is, going, he is doing everything. He wants us to make ourselves ready for his return. If we will not make ourselves ready for his return, then we will face his judgment. The Bible says in... Um, what the Apostle Paul says at the end of his life in 2 Timothy 4, he says that there's rewards waiting for us in heaven for all those who love his appearing, all those who are looking forward to his return. So we have great things to look forward to as Christians. We have lots of things, lots of challenges, lots of opportunities to present Christ to others. And we need to be moving in that direction. We need to be moving in a place where we're just... We're seeing what God has, is working out in our lives and we're submitting to it. So let's, uh, let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for these um, letters, for this truth that um, is presented to us in your word. We pray that you would help us to hear it. Lord, we even pray that you would open up our ears more, that Lord, you'd clean them out so that we can hear not just that which is physical, but we can hear the spiritual truths that you have for us. We thank you so much for the blessings that you have shared with us, even in this life. But more so, Lord God, we look forward to what's coming in the next. We thank you for the blessing of um, all of the things that are happening here in the church. I'm especially thankful, Lord God, for being able to uh, fellowship with Will and Mita this morning. And we just pray your blessing on them, that you would continue to bring healing there and, and perform miracles and glorify yourself through them. We pray your blessing upon um, your word that you'll help us to, to take it home, to meditate on it, Lord God, and to glorify you by submitting to it. We give you the thanks and the praise for it. In Christ's name. Amen.